Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lightning Insider Podcast. We'll call this the free agency and draft preview and recap a little bit of the wild and wacky Stanley Cup boat parade that took place two days after the Lightning, of course, captured the 2020 Stanley Cup championship with a six-game series victory over the Dallas Stars. They are the second Stanley Cup championship in franchise history and Certainly one that we're never going to forget for a long, long time, if ever, because of all the craziness that has taken place here in this calendar year. But certainly we're going to never forget uh, this Lightning Championship. And speaking of that, if I could do a little plug, if you haven't heard yet, I do have a brand new book coming out. It's called Lightning Strikes. It's through Triumph Books. It's a commemorative edition of the 2020 Stanley Cup Championship season. Uh, mainly a lot of what went on in the playoffs in particular in this crazy COVID time with the two hub cities, of course. So uh, check that out. You can order the book through Triumph Books. Go to triumphbooks.com slash lightning win, and you can pre-order it. The initial shipment date is expected to be on October the 13th, so about 10 days Nine days from the time that I'm recording this particular podcast, it is 14.95, and I hope you check it out and you want to enjoy it and remember this championship for a long, long time. Uh, there's some original stories in there as well that I hope you will enjoy. So again, that's triumphbooks.com/lightningwin, and you can pre-order the book. Uh, it should be out uh, in bookstores and other areas in which you pick up your books. As well, so I hope you have an opportunity to check that out again. The name of it is Lightning Strikes. Um, we'll get to your questions as we always do here a little bit later on in this episode. And I want to start though with kind of looking back at the crazy, crazy, crazy boat parade that the Lightning had on Wednesday. That was um, September 30th, which would have been the night or could have been the night of game seven. But, of course, was the celebration after having captured it on Monday, September the 28th. And I had the opportunity to get on one of the media boats and kind of not be a part of the parade, but, um, you know, observe it and kind of see where things went on. And um, I was on with all media members. I was not on with any of the players or anything like that. Uh, so I don't have any of those kind of stories to pass along, but I, I got to say, it was without a doubt one of the most unique experiences that I've ever had the opportunity to observe from a celebration standpoint. And, you know, you think back to 2004, I don't know how many people 
were Lightning fans back then. I'm sure there's a bunch of new fans, certainly in the last 16 years since that particular uh, championship run. And that parade that they had, uh, first of all, I was scheduled to be on a flight to Toronto the day of that parade. Because the award show, this is when the award show was always in Toronto. Uh, it still has been, but it's kind of moved around a little bit. It's been in Vegas. One year they had it in Vancouver uh, as part of the draft weekend. But I, I was scheduled because that was the year, of course, that Marty St. Louis was uh, going to win the MVP. Uh, Brad Richards was also the Lady Bing Award winner. Uh, so it was going to be a big night for, for the Lightning franchise. So I was scheduled to be on a flight that afternoon for the parade, and I actually ended up moving my flight to later that night to uh, at least witness the parade. I didn't have a media spot. I didn't have a media car or a media bike or anything like that to kind of go along with the parade. I actually kind of found a spot over by the parking garage somewhere because it wasn't a very long route. It wasn't uh, something that you know, took hours to complete. It was exactly as you've seen some parades. It was cars. It wasn't, you know, as you've seen some other areas celebrate with like big trucks or, you know, duck boats that you see in Boston or anything like that. They were in a lot of convertible cars. And, you know, it was new to this area. You know, it was really the only, the second championship that this city had enjoyed. You get to, you know, 2003, the Bucks won the Super Bowl. So it was a little different uh, in that aspect with how their um, um, how it was all kind of put together. Not necessarily at the last minute, uh, but it was it was kind of new, kind of different, kind of unique, um, and so it was different. So you fast forward. Uh, by the way, quick story about my getting to Toronto. Um, I told you I moved my flight. I changed it to an evening flight that was supposed to connect through Atlanta and get to Toronto, I don't know, late at night. Uh, I catch my connecting flight to Atlanta, uh, and then the flight to Toronto um, got canceled. And uh, I remember thinking, well, should I sleep in the airport? Uh, And I believe it was the airline's fault. I don't know if it was mechanical issues or whatnot. Uh, They did actually have the opportunity to send us uh, to a hotel, so I got to at least sleep in a hotel for a few hours and get on a plane the next day and then fly to Toronto. I actually considered not even going. Uh, That's kind of how hard it was because the orchard was the next day. It was actually the day that I arrived. So uh, that was very, uh, very memorable little trip for me heading up to Toronto for the award show the same day that the Stanley cup parade. So this one, this year was so much different and to give the team and the city so much credit for kind of putting this together. It wasn't necessarily a last-minute thing. Uh, My understanding is, as the story goes, that once they reached the conference finals, they started to have just preliminary discussions on what could they potentially do, what might it look like, because in the age of COVID, uh, a Stanley Cup parade down the streets wasn't probably going to be something that was plausible. So they started to talk about this potential boat parade and they had conversations with the city of Tampa and, you know, how that might look. And then once they reached the Stanley Cup final, they started to have a little bit deeper conversations. What might this look like? So 
something that was actually pulled off two days after the team had won the cup and a day after they arrived back home, uh, it was all put together. So they already had the preliminary ideas of how it was all going to work and how it was all going to be looked like, and they just finalized it right um, right after the team won it. So they put this together, and it was so unique. The setting was unbelievable. Uh, the scenes that I'm sure many of you saw, Alex Kalorn, of course you knew Alex Kalorn was going to get on his skidoo, uh, jumped on it, and then Steven Stamkos... Uh, grabbed the Stanley Cup, and he was on the back of the Sea-Doo and raising it over right around the convention center. Uh, that was probably a pretty memorable moment from this. But just just the scenery, just the opportunity, uh, again, very unique that I was uh, able to get onto one of the media boats and see some of this a little bit more up close and personal and get some really good pictures. Um, but just, you know, the scenery of, you know, Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos holding up the Stanley Cup with the spires from the University of Tampa in the background. You know, the sun was just starting to set as they got to the tail end of the parade route uh, along the river there. Um, just some stunning, stunning pictures, uh, some really cool interactions for the players to be able to find a way at least to celebrate with the fans. Uh, of course, not seeing a lot of fans lined up along the riverside with masks on, and that concerned me a little bit. You know, we'll we'll see what things kind of look like here uh, in about a week or so uh, in terms of any potential coronavirus situation. But to be able to celebrate like that, and I know that this was because of a COVID situation, at the end of the day, that was a fantastic way to be able to pull this off. And if they're fortunate enough anytime soon to be in the same situation, hopefully in a COVID-free time, I, no way would I be surprised if they didn't do this again. It, it was that unique. It was that different. Uh, some really cool pictures coming out of it. Uh, probably better pictures than you would have gotten if they were in cars along a parade route. And it's a little unique to this area, of course. Uh, to be able to pull that off that, you know, it, it starts over um, on Davis Islands and kind of goes back through the channel and the and the, right around the backside of the convention center and along the river walk and very picturesque. And, I, and I'm sure some of you guys uh, listening to this were out there and taking pictures and seeing some of what went on. It was, uh, it was re- a really cool event. Uh, the Raymond James part of the celebration um, two hours late. My understanding is that uh, the the parade route went a little bit slower than they anticipated. Uh, there were a lot of boats that weren't associated with the parade that were out there. I think that kind of slowed things down a little bit. Uh, certainly getting Kalorn to jump on his ski-doo probably slowed it down a little bit as well. Um, but uh, they didn't pull off the river until, like this event was supposed to start at 7 at Raymond James. I want to say the boat that I was in, I think we probably got off the dock, I don't know, 635, 645, somewhere in that time range. So we were just getting off the boat not too long or not too uh, long before the event was supposed to start at Raymond James Stadium. And, And you expect something like this to be slowed down a little bit. Uh, you know, trying to get from the river to Raymond James Stadium. And they had the buses all ready for the players. They had those trolley buses that you saw uh, that the team got into when they got off the plane from Edmonton uh, on Tuesday. Uh, 
but that was quite an event too. Uh, it was a long wait. Uh, it's a shame that more fans could not have been there. They capped it at 16,000, of course, uh, but it was really cool to hear uh, uh, some of the speeches. Uh, Pat Maroon, a shirtless Pat Maroon, walking up to the microphone. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, who is about as quiet as they come from players, um, especially when it comes to giving the public a look at who he is as a person. Boy, does his personality come out here during this situation. I mean, who, seriously, who had money on Jeff Vinnick having his speech interrupted, getting kissed on the cheek by a player, and then pouring beer down the owner's... Who had money on Nikita Kucherov being that guy? No, put your hand down. You did not have money on Nikita Kucherov being that guy. Uh, but he's been very outward uh, in his celebration. Uh, and, and look, it's great. It, you you think of what these guys went through, this team and this staff went through for 64 days, locked out from the outside world, not able to have contact with their family outside of FaceTime, uh, not able to change the scenery up at all. You know, the restaurants you go to are the same. The places you can walk to are the same. The environment doesn't change. And it, it did for Tampa Bay for sure because they shifted from Toronto to Edmonton. So that's a little bit of a new look. But it's still, once they got to Edmonton, it was game, off day, game, off day, game, off day. And in the one case, game, game. So, you know, there was no time to kind of get your head away from the game at all. You know, just think about how it would have been if Tampa Bay didn't get that weak break between knocking off the Bruins and facing the Islanders in the Eastern Conference. How hard would that have been? At least they got that seven days off. You know, they got a chance to step away from the game, and it's it's hard to step away from the game. You can't go to the beach. You can't go to uh, a, a dinner out somewhere, you know, with your wife or your girlfriend or, you know, a group of friends or a group of family. You know, just kind of get your, your head out of the game a little bit. Uh, it's an already a, a very challenging time mentally for so many of us here during this. And, you know, I'm not taking anything away. The, the, you know, the players are certainly well compensated, but they are human beings. And to live in that environment for 65 days, you, you're seeing all of that come out. And it's, it's going to be a party here uh, certainly for a while. The Stanley Cup will remain in town for at least a couple of weeks. The tradition, of course is that every player gets to spend a day with the cup. The cup will travel around, whether it's family, whatnot. Any of that is is off the table right now. They help, they don't know how they're going to do this or what they're going to be able to do. Um, and just to kind of recap a quick story from 2004 when I had the opportunity to go up to Montreal and the cup was up there for three state days. It was first with Vinny LeCavalier. The next day it was with Andre Waugh. And then it was with Marty St. Louis. So I had the opportunity myself and photographer Jason Benkin had the opportunity to go up there and spend a few days following the cup around. And it was really cool because we started with Vinny's. Uh, Vinny was very low-key. He had the cup at a park near his hometown, uh, near near his parents' house that was actually named... It's actually Vincent LeCavalier Park. It's named after his grandfather. Um, he had it there and just had people come and take photographs and family and whatnot uh, that he did it for there. And then he went back to his house and 
you know, got to kind of talk to his parents and got to talk to him a little bit. So it was a pretty low key event with Vinny. It was a very uh, much different environment with Andre Waugh, as if you know Andre Waugh at all or remember Andre Waugh at all, is not a surprise to hear. But we were able to start the day with Andre at his house. We had some family and, and friends over uh, to start out the day. Uh, and from there, we were supposed to go catch up with him in St. Jerome, which is his hometown. He was taking the cup back to the City Hall area. And he was taking a helicopter flight. And unbeknownst to him, his helicopter pilot was Guy Lafleur. That's right. Guy Lafleur was his helicopter pilot that carried him from uh, you know, his, his home outside of Montreal to his hometown of St. Jerome. And on that, that flight, he proposed to his girlfriend, Karen, uh, who um, she said yes, and you know, so she could. They get out the plane. They have that. Uh, it's a crazy scene around City Hall with Andre Wall in the cup. Uh, then it goes. Uh, they take it to a spa outside of Mount Tremblay, which is about an hour and a half to two hours north of Montreal. Uh, and then from the spa, they took it to Mount Tremblay for uh, you know a late night party. Uh, was not able to go to that part. We actually had to get back to Montreal. Actually, had a story to write, and Jason had photos to file. Uh, so that was Andre Waugh's crazy day with the cup. And then we were able to catch up with Marty St. Louis the next day. Uh, Marty first took the cup to his dad's post office and, and took it by some of the people that his dad used to work with and took the cup for a tour through there. Uh, we went to uh, Laval, which is where Marty and Eric Perrin, who was a member of that team as well, they took it uh, to City Hall for a celebration at Laval. Um, there was, I think, there was a, a couple of oil paintings that had Eric and, and Marty on it that were uh, given to them from the city of Laval. And then after that, they took it back to Marty's parents' house, where and this is this is this is Marty. He took a picture. He had I don't know how many family members were with him or came over to uh, take part in this, but he took pictures with every single family member that was there with the Stanley Cup, with the Hart Trophy as the league MVP, as with the then the Lester Pearson, which is now the Led Ted Lindsay Award for Players MVP, if you will, and then the Art Ross Trophy, which is the uh, scoring, scoring leader that year. So he had all four of those trophies with him there, and he took pictures of every single one of them. So that was a low-key day. That was actually Marty's second day with the Cup. It was actually Vinny Cavier's second day with the Cup as well. They had a different type of party, if you will, uh, with with the Cup um, prior to, to it being in Montreal. So that was my experience in, in three straight days of traveling with the Cup uh, and kind of what it goes through on a daily basis. Not sure if that's going to be able to take place this year. So the idea is that the um, the cup will at least be in Tampa for a couple of weeks. Uh, if you were watching the Bucks game on Sunday, you saw that uh, there was players in the suite with the Stanley Cup watching the Bucks take on the L.A. Chargers. Um, I guess it was at a golf outing. They went on a golf outing with it. So you're going to see some of those things. It's almost like we're playing, you know, instead of flat Stanley, you know, taking pictures of Stanley around everywhere, you're going to see pictures of where's the Stanley Cup. 
and that's kind of where it's going to be uh, around town here for a while. Uh, it's it's obviously the greatest trophy in sports, and uh, it's getting treated like that here for at least the next couple of weeks um, with it uh, with it in town. So uh, pretty cool, pretty awesome. Uh, congratulations, Tampa Bay Lightning, 2020 Stanley Cup champions. How's that sound? How's that sound? Bring a smile on your face. I hope it brings a smile on your face. We could all use something like that right now uh, to kind of have something good to feel about, and uh, that's certainly something good to, to feel about, uh, you know, for the local hockey team right now. Uh, all right, let's switch over to the draft. Uh, the draft is taking place this week, right? Nine days, eight days after the uh, end of the Stanley Cup final, you have the draft, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here talking about the draft um, for Tampa Bay, but because uh, they don't have a first round draft pick, but I'm, I'm going to run down kind of what they have. Um, we have not had a chance yet to talk to uh, Al Murray, who's the director of amateur scouting, assistant general manager for the team. So uh, I'm kind of going off of what I know from uh, history. Uh, by the way, to answer a quick question, this is not something that was in the ASCII segment, but I, I did ask Julian this question because it's come up. You know, there's a there's a limit on the number of personnel that a team can put on the Stanley Cup to have it engraved on the Stanley Cup. I did have a chance to ask Julian Brisebois if all 28 players that were with them in Edmonton and Toronto would get their names on the Cup. Uh, he said he's not sure. Uh, he said he basically he's put that task on somebody else in the organization to deal with that. I would imagine they will. Um, we'll see exactly what happens, but I think you can expect that to be the case. I think it's 54 names can be on the cup. Um, so then you start to do your math there. Uh, I don't think you can go any more than that. You can't ask for more than 54 names, uh, but you can ask for a certain amount of players. We know the criteria is normally half the number of regular season games uh, or at least one game in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, As we know, everybody, everybody in the Lightning fits that criteria that was with them with the exception of Matthew Joseph and Scott Wedgwood. I think everybody else falls under the criteria that they would automatically get their name on the cup. So we'll see if they can petition to get those two players involved. And of course they were both involved in the parade and the celebration and everything else. So, uh, all right, the draft, uh, the draft takes place. Round one is on Tuesday. Uh, that will be on NH uh, or on, uh, NBC, uh, NBC Sportsnet. Um, the first, first round starts at 7 PM. It's a virtual draft, of course. Uh, so Tuesday at 7 PM is the first round. And then the second through seventh rounds of the draft will conclude on Wednesday. It'll actually start at 11.30 Eastern time uh, for rounds two through seven on Wednesday. So Tuesday and Wednesday is your draft. And here's what the Lightning have. Uh, obviously, no first-round draft picks. The Tampa Bay's own first-round pick was traded to San Jose in the deal to acquire Barclay Goodrow. And the pick that they acquired from... Vancouver in the JT Miller deal uh, was traded to New Jersey. Um, So Tampa Bay does not have a first round draft pick. Uh, Those have been traded away. Doesn't mean they won't pick in the first round. We'll get to that. Uh, But as of right now, they have no first round draft pick. So right now their first pick is scheduled to be the 62nd overall pick, which is the last pick of the second round. 
They have two third-round draft picks. The first one is the 85th overall, which originally belonged to Philadelphia that they acquired from San Jose in the Barclay-Goodrow deal. So that's third round, 85th overall. They have their own pick in the third round. That's the 93rd overall pick. They have the 94th overall pick as well. That's the first pick of the fourth round that they acquired from Detroit in the deal for Adam Ernie. They have their own fourth-round draft pick. It's 124th overall. They do not have a fifth-round draft pick currently, uh, so you're going to jump to the sixth round. They have the 157th overall pick. Belongs to the Ottawa Senators. That uh, pick was acquired in the deal last summer that sent Ryan Callahan and a fifth-round pick to Ottawa for goaltender Mike Condon and this sixth-round draft pick that, of course, cleared salary cap space for Tampa Bay. They have their own sixth-round pick, which is the 186th overall, and they have their own seventh-round pick, which is the 217th overall selection and, and currently scheduled to be the last pick of the draft. Uh, so that is what Tampa Bay has at their disposal heading into the draft. It's it's a pretty simple philosophy that the team has when it comes to the draft. And it's been here since Steve Eiserman was in charge. And it's essentially this find players who have high hockey IQ, who can think and play the game, find players who have good leadership qualities, who are good human beings, basically, and then we'll work with everything else. If they have skill, that's great. We'll work with it. If they have skating, that's great. We'll work with it. If their skating is a question mark, we'll work with it. That's It's just who they are. Now, all you got to do is look back to some of the steals that they've found in this in the draft. Uh, Braden Point, first and foremost, a third-round draft pick, said to be undersized, had some skating issues, didn't think he'd be able to compete at the NHL level. They worked with his skating. He improved his skating, and you know now he's arguably a top ten player, uh, certainly a top twenty player in the league, especially after what we saw him do in the postseason this year with the uh, fourteen goals that he had. Uh, so it's it's look that philosophy is not going to change. Julian um, has has basically done what Steve does, and that's let the scouting staff do their thing. Now, one change is. The team lost Daryl Plandowski. He was the assistant director of amateur scouting. He was basically Al Murray's right-hand man. He has taken a head uh, amateur scouting position with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, so Daryl Plandowski is not with the team anymore. Um, so he will not be at the draft. Uh, I guess it's a draft table is what it is um, again. But uh, one note to that is that Plandowski is not allowed to participate in the draft with Arizona. Uh, it's part of the deal to allow him to go to the Coyotes um, you know, before the draft that he's not able to take part at the draft table with Arizona because he knows he knows the Lightning's list. He knows the ins and outs of players that the Lightning are looking at. So you don't want to give Arizona any type of a edge in that aspect. So again, the draft round one is on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Rounds two to seven will start at... Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. A.M. Eastern. Um, Normally, 
draft weekend means a lot of trades and a lot of trade speculation. Uh, we've already seen a number of deals made around the league. Uh, the latest was uh, Ole Mata going from Chicago to L.A. Uh, we've seen Mark Stahl moved. Uh, we've seen Michael Grabner become a free agent after he was put on uh, waivers for the purpose of buying out the final year of his contract. So you've seen some player movement, some personnel movement. Um, we know that Tampa Bay has some moves that they have to make. They have uh, salary cap issues, which is going to lead into uh, the start to free agency sec- uh, segment here. Because it does start on Friday at noon. So again, Julian Brisebois, not a whole lot of time to bask in the glory of winning a championship. He had to be ready for when this hit. I mean, the, the dates on the draft have been known for a while. The date, the start of free agency has been known for a while, so it's not like these snuck up on him. Uh, he's been prepared. It was interesting to hear him talk, Julian, the other day um, when we had a chance to speak to him with the number of games that were available for the staff to play, and he had Matthew Darsh, who's his director of hockey operations, with him. And uh, we saw in the bubble um, Stacy Roost, who's assistant general manager. He's been, you know, one of their player development guys. Uh, he's the GM of the Syracuse Crunch. And Jamie Pusher, who is their director of pro scouting, was there in the bubble with them a lot. And what they did is they had an opportunity to watch all these games that were taking place. All they had to do was walk over or, or take the bus over in Toronto. And they could watch, you know, three games a day and watch the same team multiple times and really put together a depth chart of teams, organizations. So they took advantage of that time to be able to kind of maybe that they certainly would have had in any other circumstances to kind of put together a list, if you will, or or a complete um, top to bottom, uh, especially the Eastern Conference teams. And then you could watch the Western Conference games on television, and then you could watch the Western Conference Finals when they were out there as well. So they certainly didn't sit around and just kind of watch the Lightning go through you know, their playoff run. They, were, they had their work cut out for them, and uh, it's really cut out for them coming this Friday. Because if you go look, look up salary cap hell somewhere in Wikipedia, open up your encyclopedia, Webster's Dictionary, it's probably not there anywhere and look up cap hell and you'll see a picture of the 2020 2021 Tampa Bay Lightning because they have some issues according to the websites that I use the one of them is uh puckpedia the lightning don't have much available cap space to work with because as we sit here and talk right now the salary cap we know is not going up. It is stuck at $81.5 million. It's a flat cap. And Tampa Bay currently has $5.3 million in available cap space and only 15 players currently under contract. So there's not a lot of room there because you have to re-sign Mikhail Sergachev. It's a long list of restricted free agents, and some of them are key players that Tampa Bay has, okay? Your restricted free agents are Carter Verhage, who has arbitration rights, Mitchell Stevens, Anthony Sorelli. On defense, Eric Chernak, 
Mikhail Sergachev, both restricted free agents. Within the organization as a whole, Jamel Smith, who was a key player for Syracuse, uh, Jamel was also part of summer training camp with the Lightning. He did not have the opportunity to go to the bubble with them. Um, but I like Jamel Smith. I like the way he plays the game. Uh, interesting to see what they think of him. But he is a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. Uh, the, and the list continues. Uh, Dominic Machine, former second-round draft pick, is a restricted free agent. Ben Thomas, right-handed shot defenseman, is a restricted free agent. Dennis Yawn. Matthew Joseph, Devontae Stevens, who is a defenseman they picked up from the Sabres, Sabres organization. He's restricted free agent. Ross Colton, who has had a couple of pretty good years with the Syracuse Crunch. He is restricted free agent with arbitration rights. Uh, and then Alex Volkov. So there's a, a, a obviously a ton of guys who are up for contract this year, and Tampa Bay has precious little salary cap space. So what does that mean? It means that some players that you are very, very familiar with are going to have to be moved out of the organization before, most likely before Friday. Now, the one thing, it doesn't have to be by Friday. Uh, ideally, you could get this done before the draft and maybe find a way to pick up a draft pick. Maybe you could make a, a trade that brings you in a first-round draft pick this year. Uh, hard to say, um, but you know it's possible. They got a first-round draft pick for J.T. Miller last year. Uh, I don't know that any teams would necessarily be willing to give up a first-round draft pick in this particular draft. You, you hear a lot of reports on it that it's one of the top drafts uh, in a while uh, in terms of overall depth and talent. So you could still get a pretty good player, um, impact player potentially, in the mid to late first rounds and even into the second round. So... Uh, I guess that's a possibility, but this is where Julian has his work cut off for him because you have to clear probably a minimum, a minimum of $10 million of cap space because the cap is not going up. They had cap issues before COVID looking ahead to the 2021 season, which by the way, we should be right starting right about now. It's crazy as, as it is to sound, but that's where we should be. But he has, Julian has to find ways to clear salary cap space. And the only way to trade or to move salary cap space is to trade players. And he acknowledged this when he spoke to the media. He specifically said that there are players who just helped us win a Stanley Cup championship that are not going to be able to come back this year. And he was talking mainly about the restricted guys. There's unrestricted guys that we'll get to here in a minute. But, um, you know, so they have they have a, a difficult task ahead of them. So, you know, guys that you could trade a couple of them that would clear the necessary space. You know, it's it's no secret to look at a guy like Andre Palat or Yanni Gord or Tyler Johnson or an Andre or an Alex Kalorn rather. You know, those are all guys that make between uh, salary cap hit wise anyway four point four five and five point three. That's what they make. So it's easy to kind of target that area and say that's where Julian could easily look to and clear out space because you have you have depth in the organization at forward, right? We saw it. Alex Volkov stepped in game six of the Stanley Cup final. They believe he's an NHL player. 
You have a Mitchell Stevens who showed a lot of what he could do after his first call-up in December and some of the minutes that he played with the injuries that they had before the team went on pause. The league went on pause. You know, you have a Matthew Joseph. You have an Alex Barry Boulay. You know, you've got a couple of guys that the team is still waiting to kind of take the next step, and Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk, Dennis Yawn, you could throw into that category as well. Ross Colton, guys we talked about as restricted free agents. So you, you have the depth on the organization to be able to, you know, have guys step up. Carter Hagee is a guy that is probably ready to kind of take um, take on a little bit more of, of a role as a forward. So you have depth in those areas to be able to withstand it or, or fill in, if you will, by making some of these trades. Now, the difficult part, as we know, is the no-trade clauses that these guys have. Uh, Palak, Gord, and Tyler Johnson all have full no-trade clauses. Alex Kalorn has a modified no trade clause. I believe Kalorn's modified. Uh, he has to submit a list of uh, sixteen teams that he uh, will not accept a trade to, or will not that he can't be traded to without his approval. So that leaves thirteen other teams that he could be traded to without his approval. That's the most likely scenario. This is a big reason why J.T. Miller was the guy that was moved last summer because he did not have any trade protection. So it was easy to move him without his permission. All these other guys would have to basically give their permission in order to be traded. So like I said, he has, Julian has an incredible task in front of him moving forward uh, and no easy way to do it. And I think he summed it up best is that it's his job and his responsibility to make these difficult decisions to be able to field the most competitive team possible they can do next year to try and defend this championship. It's not, uh, in in a perfect world, it'd be easy to keep all these guys and bring them back and you'd sign Sorelli and you'd sign Sergachev and you'd sign Chernak and you'd go back and try and repeat. You know, this is something that the 06, <laughs> 06, 04, 05 team, nope, 03, 04 team, was robbed of doing, was trying to defend the cup because the lockout happened the next year. The salary cap came into effect. Nikolai Habibulin immediately became an unrestricted free agent. The lighting didn't have a ton of cap space to work with. And it, here's the crazy thing. I think the cap that year was like $38 million. I mean, the ceiling, the, the floor is like $60 million now. But Tampa Bay didn't have a ton of cap space. You know, they had to worry about Vinny LeCavier becoming a free agent. You know, Marty St. Louis was coming off an MVP year. You know, Nikolai Habibulin was about to have his $6 million option picked up, which would have been the 0405 year, but because of the way the, they came out of the CBA, he became an immediate unrestricted free agent. He left, so the team never had the chance to truly defend its title because of the lost season. Well, in a way, the salary cap and COVID is going to prevent this team from having somewhat of the same opportunity because, look, the cap was supposed to go up to about $85 million. That's, you know, $4.5 million. That's a lot. Uh, that's, that's a pretty significant jump, and the Lightning would have certainly welcomed that in, in a big way. Um, but it's not there. It's 81.5. Uh, the one thing that you have to keep in mind Number one, we still don't know when next season is going to start. So there's some time, you know, it's not 
immediate, like you don't have to have this done right right now. You'd like to be able to do it before you go to free agency to maybe try and fill some holes if you feel some need to be filled. Um, but you can also go 10% over the cap during the summer, or the off-season in this case, uh, as long as you are cap-compliant by the time you have to submit your final rosters for whenever next season starts. We've heard mid-December, we've heard beginning of January, we've heard middle of January. That's kind of the time range right now. It's still a floating target. You know, the disease, the virus is still in control of a lot of those decisions, so we'll see what they look like moving forward. But that is that is what Julian Brisebois is up against, um, trying to find ways to fit all this in and make the team competitive once again for next season, and it's not not an easy task. All right, before we get to your questions, I want to make sure that you are still aware of the special code that we have for Smack Apparel. Uh, Smack Apparel has these brand-new T-shirts out. Um, on the back of it, it says uh, Lord Stanley gets another tan. Um, the front of the shirts uh, depicting the team's championship. Um, it shows we got the cup champions. Uh, and then the back side, of course, it says Stanley gets another tan. Uh, if you're familiar with those, um, go to smackapparel.com. If you use my exclusive code, Lightning2020, it's good through the uh, through this entire month of October. Go to smackapparel.com, look at their Tampa Bay gear, use the code Lightning2020 at checkout. You get 20% off your order. Uh, that's 20% off any Tampa Bay Lightning affiliated uh, design that they have, have in stock. They're a local-based um, franchise. No, they're not even a franchise. They're a local-based uh, provider, sports apparel provider, support your local, go to smackapparel.com. Again, use my exclusive clo- code lightning2020 for 20% off any Tampa Bay Lightning affiliated gear that they have in stock. All right, I want to get to questions because there are a few of them. Uh, uh, quite a few of them were actually left over from last the last podcast that we did which was, of course, after the Stanley Cup championship. And a lot of them were off-season stuff, so uh, I wanted to save some of those for this particular um, podcast because this one is actually uh, more of an off-season... Well, this is the off-season, looking ahead to the off-season for uh, Tampa Bay, so uh, I wanted to save those for this particular podcast. So let's kind of get into them here. Uh, there was one from Ryan. Uh, I was looking at the cap. Tampa Bay will need to make tough decisions this offseason. I would prioritize signing Sergachev, Sorelli, and Verhage. I would take Maroon and Shattenkirk on minimums. I'm curious on your thoughts on major resigns and players to let go. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I, Sergachev and Sorelli, no doubt, uh, are the priorities, and, and Julian Breesball even mentioned Eric Chernak as, as a, a priority to re-sign as well. Those are the key guys, okay? Um, you know, Carter Verhage is still in a, let's call it, show-me mode, right? You know, you haven't earned a full-time spot at the NHL level yet, so, you know, you still have to kind of sh- show who you are. 
so that's not going to be a difficult contract. I don't think the Volkovs, the Josephs, the Stevens, any of those particular players are going to be difficult negotiations. You know, maybe a Volkov would look for a one-way contract or something like that. But those are not going to be difficult negotiations. The thing you have to worry about is getting Sergeyev, Sorelli, and and um, Chernak signed. As far as Maroon and Shattenkirk, uh, I find it very hard to think that Kevin Shattenkirk would return. Uh, I know he's said that he would be willing to take less to stay, but less than what? Because his market value isn't what he made this year. And what he made this year was 1.75. His market value is higher. So unless he's willing to take something close to that, uh, I don't see a way that Kevin Shattenkirk is able to stay. Pat Maroon is a little bit different. Maroon was only making 975 this year. If he's willing to take another one-year deal in that neighborhood, I could see him staying. Uh, he certainly enjoyed it. Uh, all you got to do is look at the uh, the Stanley Cup parade. I mean, there's a guy who's won back-to-back cups. He's one of the few guys in NHL history that won back-to-back cups with different teams. So uh, I could see that being the possibility. You know, uh, some of the other unrestricted free agents, Maroon is the only forward uh, that was part of the team um, that is an unrestricted free agent. On defense is where it's interesting because they took nine players to the bubble, nine defensemen to the bubble. Only three are under contract for next year. Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough, and Braden Coburn. That's it. Uh, we mentioned Chernak and Sergachev as restricted free agents. Bogosian, Luke Shen, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Jan Ruda are all unrestricted free agents, and they're all 30 or older. So uh, that's that's the area that uh, Julian's going to have to find a way to, to shore up because there's not much depth on the defensive side, right? Because once you get past um, you know those three and then Chernak and Sergachev, okay, you have Cal Foote. Is he ready to take on a regular role in the NHL? I don't know. Um, you know, beyond that, there's not a lot that the Lightning have depth-wise. You know, they just recently signed Alex Green out of, uh, I believe he went to Cornell. Um, he's a right-handed shot defenseman coming out of college. He's not coming in to, to make the NHL team right away. Um, you know, they have Dimitri Semikin, a uh, draft pick from a couple years ago. He's going to start his entry-level deal this year, uh, you know, there's just there's just not a lot. They signed Sean Day as a free agent, uh, was with Hartford slash New York Rangers, but there's not much there. So that's the area as we look towards free agency that Julian's really going to have to address and try and find ways to sign. So that's where maybe a, um, a Kevin Shattenkirk comes into play. But again, it's just hard to think with the salary cap constraints that they have that. Um, it's just hard to see them being able to retain him for the kind of money that he's going to want. Um, we had another question uh, from Rays of Our Lives. Uh, who can possibly be re-signed at affordable deal? Thinking Maroon might be a possibility if he's willing to do a similar deal. Shattenkirk probably gone. Yeah, we uh, discussed that one for sure. Uh, going to scroll back up here. Those were a couple of ones that came out from... The uh, from last week. Um, let's see here. That is a good one from AJ. 
Uh, curious how many teams never faced an elimination in their run to the cup. Any way to look that up might be a good note uh, in the book. Um, yeah, uh, the 2012 LA Kings were the last team not to face an elimination game on their way to a Stanley Cup title. Of course, Tampa Bay was up 3-1 in every single series that they faced. They actually only trailed uh, twice in the postseason. They they lost Game 1 to Boston, and of course, Game 1 to Dallas, um, won their first two series in five games, won the next two series in six games, never facing an elimination. It's a testament to kind of how they willed themselves to get to this championship. Uh, Paul wants to know if I could do a live Facebook Live uh, while recording the podcast so questions could be asked in real time. It's it's something to consider. Uh, I'm not going to commit to it at this point. Um but it is something to consider for sure. Um, something that I could do a Facebook Live and just include it in there. Uh, but there's a lot of technical things that I'm still not very familiar with that I would have to figure out before that. Um, Faye, uh, seen any chatter about trading Ryan McDonough? Any thoughts? Yeah, that is a uh, it's a possibility because if you've read Pierre Lebrun or if you've listened to Elliot Friedman, they've talked about a quote-unquote surprise player that maybe we haven't thought about that could be moved. We've mentioned the ones that make the most sense. Uh, McDonough is somebody that you can think about. I, I wouldn't say that there's been chatter about it, but I think that you have to consider he makes $6.75 million. He has a He's another one that has a no-trade clause. He just turned uh, 30 years old. He He plays a huge role on this team. There's no doubt. He's actually 31. You know, but he has five more years left on his deal. Uh, he has full no trade protection during the entire uh, length of the remaining contract that runs through the end of the twenty four twenty five season. Um, so, is he somebody that you could consider? Well, if you're looking for ways to clear salary cap space, yes, because then you have to consider two. You already have Victor Hedman on the left side. Mikhail Sergachev is on the left side. And Ryan McDonough's on the left side. So that's one thing that you have to think about and consider. Uh, again, does that mean that there's discussions that are taking place to move him? I wouldn't necessarily say that, but it's something that we have to kind of keep in the back of our mind. Uh, from Caleb, who is definitely not being dealt this offseason and who is a dark horse to leave? Uh, boy, untouchables is basically what you're saying, right? Uh, well, I think you can say there's no way Victor Hebbins being traded. There's no way Andre Vasilevsky is being traded. Um, you know, there's, I, I know this has been brought up, but I don't see any way that Steven Stamkos is being moved. Um, we can just kind of quell that idea right now. Um, I don't think uh, Anthony Sorelli is going to be traded. Braden Point is not going to be traded. Um I would say Nikita Kucherov, but only in the back of my mind do I totally not commit to that is because his no trade does not kick in until October 9th. Okay, that's, it's crazy to think about, right? It's crazy to think about. Uh, but when you're looking to clear clear salary cap space, it, it look, it's very hard to me to, for me to imagine that they would trade a 25-year-old. Um in any way, shape, or form that has performed the way he has, and then he's just coming off the playoffs that he had. Uh, it, hard, hard, hard to imagine that. Um, so I guess, is that your consideration of a dark horse? Ugh. 
maybe. Uh, but really, to me, the, probably the dark horse is probably probably McDonough in that scenario. Um, from Meg, is there any scenario where Alex Kalorn stays? Sure. Sure there are. There are scenarios on it. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's hard to think. He is the one guy that has the modified no trade, which means, which means it makes it easier for him to be moved. He's also somebody coming off of a 26-goal campaign, a career high in goals. He had a, even though the offensive production was not there, he had pretty good playoff run. So you're talking about uh, potentially guys who, you know, could bring back some value. <laughs> it makes the most sense uh, that he is among the group of players that they're easily targeted to move. Uh, so there are scenarios where he could stay. It's just It's just hard to see that being the case. Uh, from Mark, who uh, we always say hello to Mark over in Barcelona. Um, do you feel they need to address a certain position in the draft or they should just go for best player available? This has always been my thought on the NHL draft. You don't, you don't, you don't draft for need because whatever player you're drafting, especially anybody outside the first round, is probably not making an impact on your team, on your franchise for three, four, five years down the road. So you can't draft for need. So you have to identify the best players who are available, and if there comes a situation to where you feel a couple of players are really close, one's a defenseman, one's a forward, and you have a need maybe for more forwards, maybe you draft a forward. Or I think in the Lightning's case, they don't have... A ton of depth on defense. Maybe you slide more towards a defenseman in that case. It, it's it's really been outside of the first round. The Lightning have really gone for best player available. I think in the first round, a couple of times they've gone for a need. Go back to 2012 and the run that was taken on defensemen in that draft. You know, Olimata was taken in that draft. Jacob Truba was taken one spot ahead of Tampa Bay in that draft. I think they really, really wanted Jacob Truba. Were not able to get him, so they they felt that they needed a defenseman. So they took Slater Cuckoo, even though Philip Forsberg was probably the best player available at that time. But there was such a run in the first round of defensemen. Cuckoo, of course, taken tenth overall. Um, you know, you think back to when Anthony D'Angelo was drafted. You know, right-handed shot offensive defenseman. You know, I think they felt that that was a need. Uh, but beyond, once you get past the first round, and as of right now, the Lightning don't have any. Um, I think you can sit here and say that um, uh, it's best player available. Sometimes you want to draft a goalie, but they've drafted a couple here in the last couple of years. They actually took two last year. They took you know, uh, Magnus Krona the year before that. So they have some goalies in the system. Hugo Alnefeld is actually a guy that's uh, a lot of people are very high on um, goaltending-wise. Uh, from Chris, do you think it's possible that Stamkos gets bought out and retires? Nope. Nope, I don't see it. Uh, in fact, Julian Breezebaugh just mentioned the other day that the injury to Stamkos, uh, we know he had the core muscle uh, surgery. Uh, Julian actually came out and said it was a sport turning a surgery. And the only reason he couldn't get it looked at when he had complications stemming from the surgery, and he, he called it compensation injuries. So sometimes your body compensates for an area that you've had surgery on. Um, he called it a, a compensation. The only reason they, he didn't get it looked at and, and maybe could have gotten himself back to play was because 
of uh, the quarantine situations. If he was go to go see a specialist, then he would have been uh, under tighter restrictions to quarantine. He did not want to have to do that. He wanted to try and give it as much of a try as he could. Um, of course, we now know the epic two minutes and 47 seconds that he played in game three of the final, uh, scoring the goal. Um, so no, I, I, and in fact, he has, uh, Julian Breezewell has said that Stamkos has a uh, meeting with a specialist this coming week. And they expect that when they figure out what is exactly wrong, they expect it to be weeks to recover from, not months. And here's the other thing, guys, I keep seeing this. They can win without Steven Stamkos. Of course they did it, right? They, but that's because of the depth they had. Well, guess what's going to go away this year? The depth that you had. And let us not forget, Steven Stamkos, two years ago, had a career high with 97 points. Still a very productive player. And then last year, yeah, I know he got injured right before the pause. And, you know, we like to kind of say, oh, he's injury prone and all this. He's had some tough injuries. There's no doubt about it. But at the time he was injured, he still had 66 points, 29 goals, and 57 games played. He is still a productive player. He's still an important player. Uh, so all this talk about, oh, well, we don't need Steven Stamkos, I don't agree with it. I don't buy it. Um, yeah, they were able to get by without him in this playoff run, but that doesn't mean they can't, they can't, that they can win again without him. You need a Steven Stamkos. He's still just 30 years old um, and still a very, very productive player. Uh, from Fabio, who we say hello to over in Italy. Uh, Fabio, I hope things are very, very well for you. Uh, over uh, on your side of the pond. Uh, in your opinion, Coop could use Volkov instead of a player that could be traded right now, Kalorn, for an example. Uh, I don't know that a Volkov could necessarily fill Kalorn's role right now. I think it's possible. He has some offensive side. He has an NHL shot. Uh, we saw some of his um, grittiness at various times when he's been up this year. We saw it in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final. You know, his hustle play to outdo an icing and draw a penalty led to the eventual cup clinching goal from Braden Point on the power play. Uh, yeah, so he could slot in potentially there. Um, you know, uh, a Verhage could slot into a top six role potentially. Uh, Mitchell Stevens, we know, could slot into a bottom six role for sure. Um, you know, Matthew Joseph. What is he? So they have the depth to fill in for these guys. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see... Um, I don't know if he's necessarily could kill penalties the same way as an Alex Kalorn, uh, but I could see Volkov kind of stepping into a top six role. They feel he's an NHL player. They they felt that since he was drafted in the second round three years ago. Um, so, yeah, he can step in. Uh, from Tony, are Sorelli, Sergachev, and Chernak the main priority to resign? Who do you think would be able to sign? Um, who do you think would make way to be able to sign these three? Yeah, we uh, we talked about that. I mean, there's it's pretty obvious the areas in which Tampa Bay is going to have to address in order to um, f- find a way to, to be cap compliant. And that's one thing that Julian certainly said that, you know, he promises that when they get to the start of the 2021 20, season, whenever that might be, that this team will be cap compliant. 
Uh, and that's it's a specialty of Julian's that he was um, in a lot of ways he was brought in by Steve Eiserman to be the team's capologist. Um, so he certainly knows the ins and outs of the salary cap and and knows ways to make it work. So all those deals that the team made for um, the uh, you know to to alleviate cap the Valtteri Filppula trade and the Jason Garrison move and all that stuff, Julian was right there along with uh, everything. Um, I had a couple of questions that were actually as part of uh, my site, right? We had uh, a couple of comments after the bottom parts of the stories that were Ask EE segments. Um, So I want to get to a couple of those right now. They're actually at the end of the story that I wrote the other day after talking to Julian Breezeblaw and how he had didn't have time to really kind of uh, well, celebrate. He certainly had time to celebrate, but uh, he has to get right down to work very, very quickly. Um, so that was a story that was posted the other day, and I do have a couple of comments, questions that were added after there uh, from Paul. Um, can the Lightning work out a deal where Kalorn agrees to only take one million in salary next season, and the Lightning buy three point five million of Doc Talk T-shirts? Uh, smiley face on that one. Uh, seriously, though, does the NHL allow any renego- renegotiating of contracts? They do not. They do not allow restructuring of contracts. You either have to deal with the contract, you buy it out, or if a player is sent to the minors, there's still a salary cap hit. So you can't you can't alleviate yourself of contracts. The only way to do it is if there, as we saw with Zach Bogosian this year, is if both teams mutually agree to terminate the contract and both sides have to agree to it a play a team can't just say we're putting on waivers and we're killing your deal you can't do it uh, Bogosian of course wanted that because he wanted an opportunity to go play elsewhere landed here and found himself a um, Stanley Cup championship so uh, no you cannot renegotiate contracts in the NHL uh, certainly that's something they would have done with the Cavalier a number of years ago if it was allowed uh, also from Paul, his ASCII number three, what are the deadlines for the Lightning to free up cap space? For example, the deadline for qualifying offers to restricted free agents is October 7th. Do the Lightning have enough cap space to fit all qualifying offers under the cap? They do um, because qualifying offers are due on the, actually they're due on the 6th uh, at 5 p.m. I believe is the deadline for qualifying offers to be issued. Uh, because if they're not, um, players can become um, unrestricted free agents. Uh, and all a qualifying offer is, is is just it retains negotiating rights. So in the case of a Sorelli or a uh, Sergachev in particular, uh, it means that they hold the rights to negotiate. So offer sheets, and I haven't mentioned offer sheets yet, if an offer sheet is issued, Tampa Bay would still have the first right to match anything that another team would put on the table for uh, an offer sheet situation. Um, and then the qualifying offer is just that. It's a minimum amount that players have to be offered in order to maintain those rights. It's I think it's 10% up to a certain level, and then it has to be you know the same same number. It can't be less. So guys like Sorelli uh, and Sergeyev are coming out of their entry-level deals. The qualifying offer only has to be roughly a million, which they're not going to accept. 
but it maintains the right to uh, keep the negotiating rights. Um, from Paul, again, now that you've laid out the options, if you were Brisebois, what would be your plan A? Uh, plan A would be trading Tyler Johnson, if you could. Probably trading Kalorn if you could. And, um, you know, if, if there's a way to maybe trade one more contract out for salary cap space, I would, you know, the one thing about the Lightning that they've been able to do is they've been able to convince players in Sergachev's situation and Sorelli's situation to sign bridge deals. And a bridge deal, if you're not familiar, basically it's a contract that sits between your entry-level deal and unrestricted free agency age. An unrestricted free agency is eight years after you enter the league. So in a lot of cases, you know, a player like Braden Point who entered the league as a 20-year-old, he could have been an unrestricted free agent at the age of 28. You know, it's based on years years of service. Uh, Sergachev came in at 19, so he could actually be eligible for free agency at the age of 27. So... Um, you have that that's what a bridge deal is. It's that next contract between those two spots in a player's career. We saw Nikita Kucherov sign a bridge deal prior to the sixteen seventeen season, if my memory serves. Uh we saw Braden Point this year sign a bridge deal, a three year deal, right? To bridge the gap between entry level and free agency deal. Uh he's actually he'll actually be a restricted free agent at the end of this deal. Um you know, so the Lightning would still retain negotiation, but uh, so those are the things that you kind of have to consider. Um, and then, then you know, if you can do that, you keep the salary cap number lower than it is on, a, and then it is on a long-term deal, and you give yourself more available cap space in order to be able to kind of keep a competitive team in place. And that's the sell, that's the pitch that general manager Julian Breezeball has to give to these players and their agents. If you take less now. You'll get more later. Certainly happened with uh, with Nikita Kucherov. You know, Nikita Kucherov at the at the time that he signed this bridge deal, had he signed one of those quote unquote long term deals, he could have signed an eight year deal. His comparables at that time were in the six and a half million dollar range. He ended up signing a three year deal worth three point seven, four point seven, sorry, four point seven million dollar cap hit. You know, and then he parlayed that into an eight-year deal worth nine point five million per year. Braden Point, coming out of his entry-level contract, his cap hit is six point five, but the way it's structured, the last year of his deal actually pays him nine million dollars, which means the Lightning have to qualify him at that number, so he's guaranteed to make a minimum nine million dollars per year in his next contract. So that's the way it's structured. So there's there's the trade-off. You know, now neither of those guys are coming off the offensive years that a Kucherov or a point were coming off of for sure. Uh, but we know the importance of Sorelli's role. We know the ceiling that Mikhail Sergachev still has in front of him. So um difficult times to try and find ways to get those contracts. While we're on that topic, uh the offer sheets. Okay, I still think offer sheets are Sasquatch, I guess is the best way to put it, if Matt Salmon's listening. Um, because, yeah, we do see them on occasion, but we don't see them a ton. 
And the reason we don't see them is because A, they rarely work, and B, because the compensation that a team has to give up in order to be able to sign a player and bring this player in. So uh, obviously Sebastian Ajo from Carolina last year uh, is the most recent one. Uh, didn't work. Carolina's like, okay, sure, we'll sign that. No problem. Thanks thanks for doing our negotiating, Montreal. And they did because here's the compensation. To get up into the numbers of um, to make Tampa Bay, because they are susceptible to it because of the salary cap hell that they're in. They are susceptible for a team coming in and signing one of these particular players to an offer sheet. But the team that's doing this has to have these in in place, okay? If a contract carries a salary cap hit of $2.181 million, the compensation is a third-round draft pick. If it's $4.36 million, it's a second-round draft pick. If it's $6.54 million, it's a first and a third. If it's $8.72 million, it's a first, second, and a third. And then you start to get into the first, first, two firsts, a second, and a third, and then four first-round draft picks. So you can see um, the compensation level that goes up the for the number of uh, the amount of salary that a player would make. Right, so that's why offer sheets don't necessarily work because of the compensation you have to give up to. So you can think of the numbers that a team would have to issue to a Sergachev or a Sorelli to make Tampa Bay go ugh, to even balk, to even kind of just balk at the idea. It would have to be a very high number, but to make that number work, these teams have to have this high level of compensation going the other way. So that's why I think it's difficult for um, offer sheets to work, and I don't think. Even as susceptible as Tampa Bay is here, I don't think it's something that that is necessarily uh, something that another team would do to them just because of the compensation that is in there. Uh, from Karen, who also added in a couple of uh, Ask EEs at the bottom of this story. Um, been thinking about uh, an Ask EE myself. I wondered whether something along the lines of a renegotiated contract to defer salary for a year or two, but the deferred money is kind of a golden parachute if the players traded before then. I have no idea whether any of that is allowed, so I look forward to any insights. Yeah, as we just mentioned, it is not the case. Uh, you cannot renegotiate contracts. The contracts are the contracts, and there's only one way out of them, and that's to buy them out or to mutually agree on both sides. But, you know, let's I'm not saying this is the case, but let's just say if it's Tyler Johnson. He's not going to agree to have his contract mutually terminated. It's not going to happen. It's only in situations like Zach Bogosian, where it's just gone so bad, he just wants out so bad that he's willing to walk away from money for a better opportunity. Not going to happen with some of these players. Um, last one from Karen. What is it with our luck that twice the Lightning win the Cup and twice we have an uncertain disrupted following year. Julian Bruzeball is right that it's never easy for a team after they win the championship, but we're two for two on the extra challenges for Tampa Bay. Yeah, it is unfortunate that we are sitting here talking about uh, not knowing what next season is going to look like, not knowing uh, where things are going to go, not knowing what's ahead, the financial landscape. That's the other thing. The financial landscape is unknown, Right. Like, teams are going to take hits. Teams are taking hits. The Lightning are taking a hit. Think about that. I know it's been 
fantastic over there in terms of what Jeff Finnick has done. Nobody uh, that I'm aware of, and if somebody knows better, correct me if I'm wrong, um, nobody has been laid off because of the pause or COVID. Nobody has taken a salary reduction because of COVID. Yeah, there have been positions where people have vacated them and they're not filling them. Or in my case, as I was doing work for the team radio, uh, my deal ended and they didn't bring me back. So there have been those situations. But um, you can't tell me they're not hurting. Think of a, a run to a Stanley Cup title where they were not able to have any stands in, fans in the stands. There's no gate revenue coming in. You know, under Bill Davidson, there's only one year that the Lightning made a profit. One year. It's not hard to guess which it was. It's 2004. It's the only year the team made a profit under the Bill Davidson group. You know, and Jeff Finnick's goal all along was he just wanted to break even because he wanted to do what he had to do to win a championship, to bring a championship to Tampa Bay, and he did it. You know, but, and we don't know the answer to this question. We didn't have a chance to ask Julian. Not that they have much of a choice, but if they're going to have to work with a reduced budget, payroll for next year. So the cap is one thing. Because you've heard a lot of teams talk about or some whispers of some teams that are going to work with a different budget. Not worried about what the salary cap is, but what the budget is. So yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty on the financial landscape. We don't know what the world is going to look like in a month, two months, three months, you know, down the road. Uh, Lots of uncertainty in many, many areas uh, that are going to affect uh, teams uh, going forward. And that could potentially include the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, well, that is going to uh, wrap up this first off-season edition of the Lightning Insider Podcast. Uh, As always, I appreciate everybody for listening. If you ever have any questions, no matter what's on your mind, find me on Twitter, find me on email. My email is eric at lightninginsider.com. My Twitter is at eric underscore Erlinson, E-R-I-K underscore E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Don't forget the draft is Tuesday at 7 p.m., concludes starting Wednesday at 11.30 a.m., Uh, Eastern Time. Uh, Free agency starts on Friday, October the 9th at noon. Not that I expect Tampa Bay to be very active on free agency, but I do expect them to be active when it comes to making moves ahead of them and then trying to find ways to negotiate new contracts for a Sorelli, a Sergachev, and a Chernak in particular, but it's a pretty long list as we did discuss here on the show. All right, don't forget my book, triumphbooks.com slash lightningwin. Don't forget about smackapparel.com. Use the code lightning2020 for 20% off any of their apparel uh, at smackapparel.com. We'll come back with another podcast uh, probably sometime after we open the free agency and address uh, some of the things that Tampa Bay may or may not have done since then. Uh, Until then, thanks for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you down the road. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.